0: so hard, oh Lord, my troubles so hard, don't nobody know my trouble
1: but God, don't nobody know my
0: trouble but God. Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show, and this is one of my favorite panels. It is the Faith Panel. And there's a great deal to speak about, as always. And as always, I have this amazing uh, panel of women. Vizemir, who's a Muslim activist, uh, and I can say academic too, can't I, Vizemir? (laughs) And uh, we have Annie Matan, who is a Jewish priestess uh, and regular contributor as well. So we're representing the the people of the book here, at least the women of the book. and I'm delighted to be with you all. Now, what I'm gonna do is, because we're doing something new, we're not only taping not in the studio, but of course on Zoom, we're also taping all together so we can get more interaction. So I'll just say your name first and then speak, um, Delightful Women, because uh, that way we won't speak over each other and it will give our producer, Jake. And by the way, shout outs to Jake, who helped save our socks today, technologically speaking. Um, uh, thank you for all the work that you do for the Radical Reverend Show. And by the way, before we begin, out there in listener land, it is also fundraising time at the station, although, uh, we don't, uh, hear that directly and we're not in the studio. The station still needs to stay alive, uh, so please, uh, be generous this year and certainly, uh, mention our show and you can mention, uh, the fact that we're also on podcast. Um, both Apple and SoundCloud and other venues. So you can catch the show ad infinitum. Now to Faith, uh, Fissa, you suggested a topic and I thought it was really appropriate and really timely. Most of you will know that just a few days ago, a woman fell from a, a very high uh, balcony, not far from where I live actually, in my riding of Parkdale High Park, that I used to be MPP of and she fell some 24 stories uh, and now we're hearing that police were involved in this fall and her family, certainly some of her family members are putting the responsibility for her fall at the feet of the police. Uh, It was initially not announced that way through mainstream media. And so we're trying to fill in the gaps here and fill in the silences. Um, There have been a whole uh, raft of responses. Uh, The woman, Regis, was both uh, a woman of colour and a part Indigenous. Um, So there's that element in the story as well. And uh, again, um, this was an assault call where this woman had, and the family was the first to admit it, some mental health issues. But all they really wanted was for her to get help, to be able to be taken to CAMH. And yet instead... She's dead. Uh, There is, by the way, uh, in case I forget later on in the show to mention this, a rally in her honour calling for justice. It's going to start uh, Saturday, tomorrow. Um, When this show airs, it will be too late, but you'll hear about this on podcast. And it's going to walk from Christie uh, Pitts right, um, right to Queen's Park and hopefully make some impact on legislators um, by the way, should also give a shout out to Jill Anders, um, MPP, uh, who, along with the Black Caucus of the NDP, is calling for an independent inquiry. So, Fizza, you you suggested this topic. Mm-hmm. Tell us why.
1: Well, I think just well mainly because I think anti-Blackness is a global issue. And of course, it affects all of our faiths and how we how we deal with um, our community members. And just as black people and their voices have been on the sidelines and ignored and their pain has been ignored um, broadly throughout our countries, they've also been ignored in our faith spaces. Um, So this is an important conversation I think that we need to have. I know the Muslim community is doing a lot of soul searching. Um, And I would I'll take it back to um, the killing of George Floyd and information that's coming out that it was actually a Muslim Arab man who had called the police on him. Because he thought that his $20 was counterfeit. Um, so uh, we have to really have some education around what calling the police means. How do we deal with conflict outside of calling the police? Understanding that the police are not protecting racialized people. Um, and these are conversations that I think in communities that are targeted. Um, I think about the Jewish community and the Muslim community who ex- have um, experienced real violence at the hand of, hands of white supremacists, is a difficult conversation to have because our first response is, hey, we need more protection from the police. Let's call the police to to you know uh, guard our doors at the mosque and the synagogues. And I feel like it's a difficult conversation to have because we still see that institution as aligning with our safety. And we have to really interrogate that. Um, and a lot, I know for the Muslim community, the reason we feel that way is because we ignore the anti-Blackness of policing. So it's easy for um, South Asians like myself and Arabs and non-Black Muslims to say, yeah, the police do actually keep us safe, because under most circumstances, they actually do. Because the real victims of policing that we're seeing are Black and Indigenous people, and we have to think about Black and Indigenous Muslims. So this is why I felt like it was an important conversation to have right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, um, particularly in the case of Regis, it was... uh, I gather her pastor, um, there was Christian involvement with the family and her uh, came out uh, and spoke at a little impromptu rally that was outside of 100 High Park, which is where this happened. Um, And, you know, of course, um, you know, this affects a whole community, not just her family and herself. Uh, But then we've got the equal image on mainstream media of the chief of police, who's a black man, standing up there and saying, you know, Again, we're, we're talking about an organization that is military at its bases, you know, supporting his troops, so to speak. Um, SEIU is uh, not SEIU, but uh, um, the police. S-I-U. yeah, I SIU. Total Freudian slip there. Um, SIU went in to examine, but we have to understand that SIU is a police-based inquiry process. It's not. Uh, It's not independent. So they've gone in to explore what's going on. Various details have come out. There were actually quite a number of police that were there. So the question is, um, what really happened? Uh, Chief Saunders, one of the things he said is, you know, we need video cameras, like body cams. Uh, And so there was this... There, there's the immediate plea for more money for policing, in, in essence, you know. Um, and yes, it's true, uh, body cams might have helped here. Um, but but again, you know, for somebody looking from the outside in, you're really caught in a who-to-believe scenario uh, here. Again, I'm going to throw this back to you, Fissa. Like, yeah. when you see a black chief of police standing up there, you know, speaking about this, um, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what do we do? Well, what do we I do mean, with that?
1: I- I think that we know the institution of policing is violent. So you may not, you may be a wonderful person, but your job is to serve the institution. And, um, and, and we have obviously Muslim police um, that are also doing that kind of work. Not too long ago, a few years ago, actually, one of our mosques um, launched, they invited the RCMP into the mosque, and they launched this big um, uh, celebration about how the hijab was now being accepted as part of the police uniform as if that was something to celebrate. Um, and we need to really speak up against these things. I know we are actually not going to join a system of oppression and we have to resist these ideas that inclusion and diversity is going to fix the problem. And um, I'll just go back to this idea of who who to believe, you know, a he said, she said situation. And I've been thinking about that. Um, and i think about i think about the me too movement and when people say we believe women right and the reason we believe women is because sure of course there are two sides and we haven't heard two sides yet but it's okay for us to immediately be, believe women because we know that there is um, a system a, a systemic problem and most of the time uh, and uh, statistically we have seen the patterns over centuries that women are correct and they are to believe be believed and it's the same thing so i think we need a hashtag that says we believe black we believe black voices. If a black family says to me that my cop, that cops pushed them off, I don't need to wait for body cameras and I don't need to wait for two sides. I know that I believe the black family for the same reasons I believe women, for the same systemic reasons.
0: Yeah. Annie, I'm going to loop you in here. Um, Now, both uh, Annie and I are white women. um, But Annie, I want to talk to you as a Jewish woman. Uh, One of the interesting and, and I think surprising aspects, for example, when I was in Israel, is to see the number of black Jews. Um, the, the number of black Jews in, in the Israeli Defense Force, for example. Um, speaking from your community, um, you heard Fiza talking about her community. Uh, what comes to mind for you in this situation?
2: Whew. Well, um, my goodness. Uh, so I'm, I, Fiza, thankfully said so many of the things that I wanted to say. <laughs> um, so I know folks can't see us because we're you're hearing this on radio, but I've been like waving and sort of cheering and saying, yes, I agree. Um, and and today I read that um, there's a synagogue that was vandalized in Montreal yesterday, I believe, um, and sacred objects were put down the toilet and a Torah scroll was put on the floor. And, um, and for me, it just feels starkly, um, it feels very relevant that that's awful, right? The desecration of a holy space is awful. And yet um, there's a level, there is a difference between a desecration of a holy space and the constant violence against bodies of people of color, of, of black people. And so even though um, I'm Jewish and that there's a lot of anti-Semitism going on and yesterday's incident is only the most recent one that I've seen in the media, um, but there, it's pretty constant. The vandalism right now is pretty constant. Um, but I, because I'm a white able-bodied woman, cis woman, um, my Judaism is pretty, in, and, 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 and I don't wear traditional garb. So my Judaism is pretty invisible and, um, I'm definitely privileged. And so I'm, I'm just struck by the stark contrast between for me, yes, the, the violence against, the, a holy space of my community and in my faith is heart-wrenching and scary and awful. And yet when I think about Regis kachinsky Packet, I, I think um, she's just, she, she is not just, God forbid, she is one of way too many people of color whose bodies have been put on the line all the time. And I think in the Jewish community, what's happening right now, we're celebrating the holiday of Shavuot. And um, so <laughs> it's amazing because we're in this technological time where gathering is only happening uh, other than in these rallies and protests. It's quite interesting that our, in our community, religious gathering is happening on Zoom. And people are gathering to study Torah, to study the teachings all night last night. And there are study sessions going on because it's a two-day holiday uh, still all through today. And in fact, there's a multi-faith feminism all night one starting today and going through Saturday, at least Saturday, I believe. And I tuned into a couple and guess what folks are talking about? They're talking about this. They're talking about Minneapolis. They're talking about how Black lives matter and what can we do as people of faith and how do we stand up and how do we use the power and privilege that we have, uh, our voices, I mean, this is what I feel like I can do. I made phone calls yesterday when I heard about Regis. And and so, like, I want to use my voice. I'm, I'm looking at pictures of, of white people standing in a chain to protect Black protesters in Kentucky this morning. And and I think, it, it, at least in the Jewish community, this is, this is a thing that, social justice is pretty important to us as a value and uh, and we're wrestling with this and we're making, we're trying to also make space for and prioritize black voices and the voices of people of color in our community uh, and s- just signal boost that there are people of color in our community and their voices matter, their bodies matter, their lives matter. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, as much as I can say at this moment, because I, I feel like it's important. To, I'm so glad that FISA started. I feel like it's really important to hear from those who are, who are living this um, and who are in it every day. And I know, FISA, you are differentiating between anti blackness and, um, and, and, and being a Muslim or Arab, Muslim or um, and that there is a difference in black and indigenous folk, um, at least in Canada, have, received, have, have really been. Um, receiving the worst of it
1: mm-hmm. and
2: also again like as a white person i want to i want to say like i want to step back and signal boost and learn like crazy
0: mm-hmm. so fisa let's get back to you uh, annie mentioned uh, that there is a jew jewish uh, holiday a holy a series of holy days going on right now and and Eid. um mm-hmm. has this been talked about what's happening in the muslim community right now
1: um, well, no. This it started a little bit after Eid, and Eid was, you know, Ramadan and Eid were quite um, a little bit isolating because of COVID. So most people were in their homes, and there wasn't a lot. I know that a lot of mosques were doing online programming, which was great. They were working around the clock to try and get programming out every day through YouTube. So that was good. Um, so what makes me sad is not the the ability not to gather because I do have Black Muslim friends who are texting, like they were texting in a group that I was in like three in the morning and they're just like, we can't sleep. Like we can't sleep. And I'm sorry, this message is coming so late. And one of them has an 11 year old, they live in Scarborough. He said, he's afraid to go out. So I think these are really important conversations. And I wanted to say, Annie, that I think, you know, speaking about the desecration of holy spaces and feeling bad about that, and then also making sure that you're feeling bad about Regis, I don't, they're, they're not two separate things. And I think it's fine for us to feel equally horrible about both. And it's also important for us to make the connection that both of those violences are rooted in um, white supremacy. So we can be just as angry as... at both of them, you know, they're both losses, and and, make, and making sure we're making those connections, and I think that's what our my community really fails to do is to look at Islamophobia through the lens of white supremacy, through the continual um, genocide of indigenous people. So we will talk about Islamophobia and what's happening. There's an incident actually right now. Some, um, a principal at the Peel Board, who made a remark about uh, students making bombs, and uh, the response from you know our representative muslim community was that yeah we need this is awful and we need an apology and i mean it doesn't go far enough like we really need to talk about having people removed taking these things seriously and also making the connection to the violence of colonialism and indigenous genocide they're all connected so i think that's part of the weakness and that we're starting to we see those things as separate and we have to start putting them together and i know that in my community um For sure, I know people are coming out and showing remorse and, you know, really calling for police action, which is important, which is really important to do. But I also have been trying my best online to remind people that when we have, you know, scholars or religious leaders who have made anti-Black statements in ways that the Black community, you know, they're subtle statements. So we had a leader several years ago who came to a huge Toronto gathering about, uh, 20,000 people plus It happens. I, I stopped attending a long time ago because of all the problematic issues there. But um, he said something about someone asked him a question about Black Lives Matter. And he said, of course, you know, we we support uh, all black life. But we also have to first think about the black family and the absenteeism of fathers. He said that. I know. I know. So I won't explain how awful that is, how racist that is. But of course, the Muslim Black community exploded in a rage. And people were like, no, that's not what he meant. And like explaining away his words, that's anti-Blackness. And if we're not going to face that, if we're not going to call out our leaders, these respected quote-unquote scholars, and say, this is totally abhorrent, and you need to, you know, and, and people love this scholar. So people were were defending him. So yeah, it's easy to say Black Lives Matter and it's easy to say George Floyd's killing was awful. And like, you know, cops need to be, uh, stop brutalizing Black life. But we need to see that brutality. And somebody wrote, you know what, it's not a killing, but it's a death by a thousand cuts. And I think that's where our community really has to look inward and say that, why are we dismissing voices? If someone said to you that that was offensive and that was racist, we don't need a huge long essays and essays of explanations. We need to listen and we need to rein that in. Um, and that's what's not happening. That's really what's not happening. So all of these people who were so dismissive at that time are now posting about police brutality. Like the audacity, I can't even tell you, I'm just so angry. So anyway, what, what can I do except speak back? Like, and that's what, that's what people are doing. And I'm, I'm, those are the conversations that I'm, I see happening now, which are, which are amazing.
0: And just to add to that, Fissa and Annie, this Sunday is Pentecost in the Christian tradition, which is the birth of the church. It's basically the birth of the church. The disciples are all sitting around, they're frightened, and all of a sudden, Holy Spirit comes in, they're all of a sudden not frightened anymore. They go out, oppressive Roman regime, start talking in different languages of the world. It's a very interesting story. That I just recorded my sermon on it because... It kind of shows the best and the worst, and all of our fakes when we think about. It, we all have these elements, right? Sort of, you know. There's this, there's a wonderful elements, you know, in, in the story, and there's also the very beginnings of the imperialist, colonialist element. It's all there, right? It's all there, and we kind of have to decide. And I said, I, you know, every. Christian has to decide what kind of church you want to be. Do you know like do you want to be the church of residential schools of Donald Trump of you know homophobia and racism or you know wh- where 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 are you at you know decide because the elements you know the elements are there we could go either way and we have in the history um and, and there isn't you know there isn't a faith on earth you know we just. to I I used to, you know, you would always point to the Buddhists. So they seem to be peaceful people except now Rohingya, right. You know, not so much. So, I mean, again, um, it's something that we all wrestle with and, uh, And thank you for weighing in on that. I want to kind of turn the conversation by the way you are listening to Radical Reverend show here. Uh, We are of course uh, taping remotely. Nobody's back at U of T and probably won't be for a while in the radio station there. Uh, And it's our faith panel. If you're interested in this, you could catch it forever on podcast. Uh, And you can always, you know, contact me if you want. Um, uh, Sherry DeNovo, C-H-E-R-I-D-I-N-O-V-O. I'm, they're everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We love your feedback. We love your ideas for other shows and other topics as well. So keep listening. Um, I want to turn it because one of the things that's come out of being online and on social media a lot these days, and I'm hearing this through my kids, um, is uh, conspiracy theories. They seem to be, and they come, they're come. they not just kind of right, bar- right wing craziness, you know, anti-vaxxers and, you know, Uh, COVID's nothing and let's all open everything up and you know let's all die together kind of focus. It's it's also I mean I want to highlight one that I got and then just throw it out to you in terms of your feedback. Um, This is a friend of ours who is uh, Palestinian, um, very politically active, Left her profession, kind of semi-retired down to an island where she opened a yoga retreat, spiritual center. Um, she's a wonderful woman, not at all, you know. She, you know, she's very sophisticated, very intelligent, and she um, and she's totally thinks that Bill Gates just to use a name, or or she put this out, that Bill Gates and that the whole COVID thing is a kind of conspiracy coming from corporations. So it was kind of this like left... you know, tacked on conspiracy theory about you know. Well, it's no worse than a cold or flu, and you know this has been just an entire conspiracy of big business to shut down small business, of which she is one. You know? And I thought it, it 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 kind of shocked me, and I was horrified by it. But then I get that so many of us are getting all of our information from social media and from various platforms that are not mainstream news anymore. And it's showing itself now in very weird ways. So I just want to throw that out uh, to you in terms of um, people and faith groups and what you're hearing. Um, Annie, why don't you start?
2: Um, okay, so this is really challenging for me um, because I think, I think we need to be careful There are many ways in which our communities and society have been polarized around issues that are real and scary. And, um, I think this, uh, the, the issue around who's affected most by COVID-19, um, and and what perspectives are possible around how we stay healthy as a society and how we take care of our most vulnerable um, and whose messages, who's, which experts are getting the most um, coverage. These things need to be unpacked a bit. So I think the fact that those who have the least access to good health care are the ones who are most affected by sickness. COVID-19 is real. People are getting sick and dying and um, top doctors and medical experts are still struggling when the worst cases come in with how to treat them effectively. And it's only been around in, in large numbers for a short period of time and they're learning as they go. And I respect these very learned um, doctors and I'm watching videos um, of doctors and nurses saying we got it wrong and we're adjusting. We got it wrong and we're adjusting. This is awful, this is scary, and now we're getting you know, now it's getting better in, in various places. Um, and I just want to be careful about using terms like conspiracy theory and um, and even anti vaxxer, we're just dismissing groups of people who have perspectives um, that go against what the mainstream narrative is telling us. And I'll tell you, my heart is pounding as I say this, because um, it's a pretty, I know I'm saying, I know I'm being careful and I know what I'm saying is controversial. Uh, and I've been immersing myself in, um, in, you know, Sherry, what you're describing, you know, oh, the, the crazy things that can be sh- showing up on social media so I've been reading all the things and listening to all the people and doctors who are well known and respected um, are saying some are contradicting each other. And I'm actually for me, like if I zoom out a level, uh, I find it really scary that we're being told to dismiss some outright because there's a there's a narrative that doesn't make sense with what we're being what we're being told from a different perspective. And I think it's always valuable, just like, for me, this is, this, it feels equivalent, like, just like we we need to listen, when someone says, um, my family member was killed by a police officer, we need to listen when someone says, um, something is wrong here, something doesn't feel right here about the way that that this is being handled and I want to know more. And so your friend, you know, she's traveled down a particular path of exploration that led to Bill Gates. And I've seen, I've seen, um, you know, some very compelling images that show all of the businesses that he is connected to and all of the, um, government agencies that he funds and how it could be like I've seen I, I've seen the stuff that makes people go wait what um, and I'm not convinced frankly I'm not convinced either way I'm just kind of sitting back and, and listening and in terms of how this is affecting faith communities I think it's extremely polarizing and that's really challenging it's like giving us this whole conversation is giving us more reasons to be afraid of each other and more reasons to be angry with each other and to judge each other um, and to shut down and dismiss each other uh, and, and even to exile each other. So I think for me, it comes back to like the importance of listening. Why do you feel that way? I would ask your friend, um, what, what led you to feel like, I really respect you, you're a learned person, We share a lot of values. Can you help me understand where you're coming from? There's an opportunity for connection there that isn't, no, I don't even have to say that isn't, period. There's an opportunity for connection when we understand what a person's lived experience is that leads them to their beliefs, And then we can ask questions, challenge them if you want to. Why do you think that? Well, that seems weird to me because of these other things I know. Can you show me the sources? And, And I think that that's true with, you know, Healthcare and um, what's happening with COVID-19 and also, also as we're learning um, how to show up better for each other in terms of um, anti-racism and white supremacy and feminism, it always starts with why do you feel that way? Where are you coming from? Um, where do you get that? And help me understand. Um, I, I want to say also, you know, we're all a product of our conditioning and what we are taught. And so even people, every time I, I, we, when we get it wrong, when we hurt each other, I think it's not because we want to hurt each other. It's not because we wish anyone ill. It's because we believe we're right and we believe we're right for a reason. So that is the piece that I think is important is that we need to investigate why we believe we're right why like I want to investigate why I believe I'm right and why you believe you're right. And maybe we'll learn some things in the process about how we got there that will help us connect more as people and stand more for each other in the face of the fear that is ultimately rampant in all of these perspectives.
0: Thank you, Annie. That's very wise. And thank you for those words. Biz, I'm going to throw it to you now.
1: Yeah, I think, think? I mean, no, Annie made some really great points about it's how important it is to listen to people. But I think um, there has to be a distinction between not having malicious intent. You may think something is really good um, and really, you know, you don't want people to be harmed by your opinion, but then your opinion will have very real life harm to people. Um, So I agree that people will have different opinions about COVID, but what's dangerous about them is that if they start lending voice to, you know, to the open things up movement, that's going to have very serious ramifications for racialized people. So that's why I'm scared about entertaining, um, you know, what we're just speaking of quotes as conspiracy theories for two. Like if it's a personal friend, sure, you can engage with that. But I think COVID is extremely time sensitive and we're seeing uh, cases continue to rise in Ontario. My husband works at Toronto General and he doesn't understand why things are opening up because the cases are continuing to increase. Um, And he will now have to take the, the, I mean, we're not in any way I wouldn't, you know, we are incredibly privileged um, economically, but the parking they've they've been offering, they've had a private donor offer free parking during this time. And now we don't know if he's going to take the subway in, like how are low wage workers going to get to work? Now that things are quote unquote opening. So I think for sure, you know, there's different opinions out there. Um, it, there's legitimate ways that people got to those opinions. But it's fair to say that those opinions have really harmful consequences. And not everybody has the right to hold those opinions. So I would say an anti vaxxer in a racialized community would be stigmatized so much worse. And frankly, there probably aren't very many because um, the leniency and the lever, the, 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 the degree to which we are allowed to um, be on the margins of certain opinions varies. So I would even say, for example, um, when Eid came around, um, we this wasn't even a discussion in the faith communities. Everybody knew we weren't going to open our mosques because cops were going to be at our doors. Like we already knew that. And there was a great conversation happening in the UK where there was a huge government campaign imploring Muslims to stay home for Eid, like so patronizing and they're saying, did they do this for Easter? Did we have this huge campaign to tell people that, hey, guess what? You shouldn't go to the church. No, because we already know racialized people are already used to not crossing the boundaries, right? Not pushing the limits. And, you know, we've been telling that to our people too, that even though we're following the rules, even though the rule is, you know, four people outside your family and you're allowed to meet, we also know that we're surveilled. So even though when I was going to have my family over, um, you know, don't bring too many cars. Like we don't know. My mother came; she sat outside from far at a distance, and my sister came separately with her husband, and they sat outside at distance. So we're very cautious about how how surveilled our communities are. So we don't have the the uh, the privilege to like wade into conspiracies in or different opinions. You're right. I, I think conspiracy is kind of also um, belittling to you know, a variation of opinions, Um, we're not allowed to stray that far. And I think another option would be um, if we're talking, going back to the Bill Gates example, and for sure, billionaires are getting even richer off of the way things are set up. Maybe we can explore um, what actions could we take? If you're upset that billionaires are getting richer, what's going to solve that problem? Is opening up going to solve that problem? Or maybe we can redirect what we wanna do in terms of pushing policy to have these billionaires pay their taxes, to have the people in Panama who have their offshore accounts be prosecuted, to make sure the governments are not um, giving them bailouts. So there's other ways around it. If you, if you believe that COVID is making the wrong people richer, what else can we do about it versus opening up? Because opening up um, is gonna hurt a whole lot more people. So maybe we can explore in those different ways.
0: Thank you, Fiza. Yes, and and um, thank you both for your, your weighing in on that topic. Um, let's talk about opening up because that is happening as we speak. Um, and my own concern was, you know, talking about the rich getting richer, um, that a lot of the opening up that, in fact, has been going on before government asked for opening up, Um, grocery store clerks, delivery folk, uh, migrant workers, a lot of people who've been deemed essential workers through this all. And now, you know, stores are opening up. So people are working in stores. Um, uh, Again, we don't have a sick day policy in this province, which is horrific. Um, There's that. But also, it's kind of a way of forcing low-wage workers back in perhaps unsafe situations, not giving them really an option. So I think that definitely has to be said. Um, uh, and so who who are we doing this for? And I'm hearing the same thing from frontline health workers. We're not doing it for frontline health workers, that's for sure. Um, we're, we're doing this for you know moneyed interest. And I get small business hurts. It's hurting. Um, so that has to be said too. More has to be done for them, but maybe not, um, maybe not the policy we're following. And it's it's also true too that cases are still going up. I mean, I, as you look at it, um, as you look at the, and, and that's without appropriate testing, so we don't really know. Um, but let's talk about opening up faith communities. Um, Fizza, you mentioned that, uh, that there was not even a discussion about opening up mosques, for example. And by the way, I'm talking to Fizza Muir, Muslim activist and academic, and Annie Tan, Jewish priestess, as well as myself. Um, there were over 300 churches that signed a petition to the government demanding churches to be seen as an essential service and allow churches to open up. I'm proud to say uh, that the United Church, the largest Protestant denomination, was not part of that and said we were saying exactly the opposite, that this is dangerous, Um, but still that's a lot of churches um, and that uh, that's in Ontario. So um, that's very concerning Um, and even in the best case scenarios right now, if you look at our mosque synagogues and churches, um and you sit people reasonable lengths apart and you know our building manager went through this exercise and saw how many people could you sit in the sanctuary you know I mean it's still kind of ludicrous because the reason that people want to go to these places in part is to talk afterwards and before and to meet each other because otherwise you can watch and to hug you know (laughs) um and so none of that of course would be allowed not not even none of that it's going to the washroom like you know how are you going to monitor that and how are you going to get in and out you know you're i mean it the logistics just get crazy when you start thinking about it um but clearly this comes out of the you know the you know we're not really at risk scenario so i mean i i guess i'm asking you and and i know you know there's a bit of this in all faith groups what is, well, I'm trying to understand what's going through their minds. Is it kind of, you know, God will make us impervious to disease, or if you have faith, you know, you you won't catch COVID. I, talk to me, talk to me. Annie, why don't you weigh in? Uh,
2: well, I can see that, it, that in the Jewish community, we're not opening. I mean, we're, we're gathering online, and there's, uh, Sorry, I can't remember which group of rabbis, but there's a group of rabbis in the U.S. Like men, it might not even only be the U.S., but from from across at least you know a fair distance, who've all said tikuach nefesh." That's the term for for the sake of a life, to save a life, and so to save a life, we are not gathering because the health of our community comes first, and the health of the most vulnerable in our community is you know, is the highest priority because they're the ones who are the most at risk, and typically, I mean, I know Sherry, because of the communities you've worked in, those are the ones who show up. So, you know, we really need to make sure that the whole community is taking care of, uh, is taking care of those who most need taking care of. So I would say, um, at at least this is in, in progressive circles, the message is don't come. And I'm also hearing stories of um, of in neighborhoods where the whole, like in Jewish, um, Orthodox neighborhoods where the whole neighborhood is organized so that people are in proximity to each other because on the Sabbath they can't travel. So that means that they're used to just like walking to someone's house for a meal or walking over to the synagogue. And I'm hearing about backyard minions, so groups of 10 people meeting in a backyard or, or you know, more than, more than the limit are gathering. And also those communities, at least in the initial wave, were hardest hit. Uh, those Jewish, those, um, Orthodox Jewish communities, even in Toronto, were hardest hit. Uh, a lot of people got sick. Thank God the death rate has been very low. In fact, I, I personally haven't heard of any deaths. That doesn't mean there weren't any. Um, but in terms of numbers, um, it was high because they weren't following, um, Uh, social or physical distancing rules. Um, But now at least the mainstream message in the wider North American Jewish community is don't gather, at least not yet. And I want to say also that this is a chat, like this is a privilege thing too. Like our ability to gather on the internet is a privilege. Lots of people don't have stable internet. When this started, I didn't have stable internet and I was supposed to be leading. And I just kept getting kicked off Zoom. So for folks who can't afford to upgrade, which is what I ultimately did, because I work online as part of my business and I had no, cho- I felt like I had no choice. They're completely alienated, and again, we're looking at the most vulnerable in our communities who are already isolated and already alienated, and now they can't even come for kiddish the meal. You know? they don't. They don't have. Um, they don't have the ability to even do that. So it, you know, it raises a question. What do we do? How do we help? How do we reach out to those folks? Hopefully, we're using our phones and we're calling them, um, and and doing it the old-fashioned way, you know, like set up phone trees, check in on people, knock on doors, and leave packages of uh, like care packages. And so the question, I think that's that's up right now, is how do we find new ways to take care of each other? How do we find new ways to gather that protect? everybody. Mm
1: -hmm. Fiza? Yeah, no, I think that that's really important. And same with the Muslim community. For the most part, I know there has been no call to reopen and no real desire to just because for the same reasons that Annie mentioned, people understand the danger. And yes, seniors are so important to our community. And I'm sure they're struggling. And I I love those ideas. I, I think that that we have a lot of organizing to do to find ways to reach out and make sure that we're still connecting. Um, I know Armas did do a daily, um, like from, for Ramadan, we opened the fastest sundown. So they did do like a, a daily, a daily program half an hour before sundown just to connect. And I think, um, I mean, I think I, I'm proud of them because I know that there's also such a financial component Ramadan where we have our, you know, al-Qadr is considered the night of power. It's one of the most spiritual nights. It happens on um, the last week of Ramadan and that is usually the night where I would say the majority of Muslims give most of their donations. So we pay Zakat, we give, you know, as much as we can in donation and most people wait till Ramadan to do it and probably I'd say 90% of the mosque budget is like taken care of that night. So mosques are really struggling to be like, okay, how do we generate this income when nobody's here, right? We haven't been able to chat. We can't have this face-to-face. And, they, and, and that was really hard for them. And I, and I wonder with the churches if there's a financial component that we need to have people here to pay the bills. Otherwise, they're going to, you know, out of sight, out of mind. That might be a part of it um and and it's and it's legitimate There's, I, I I believe it's legitimate, but it's obviously not a reason to open up but a reason to explore other ways to connect with people and say we're we're here for you, and we've been here for you, and now we're asking that you'd be here for us as well if you're able to you know if you're able to afford it and from what i've heard, I know for our mosque we did quite well um they had a, they had an evening program online, and I know that it was also technologically different for our imam because it's not something that he was accustomed to doing. And there was a real learning curve, um, but people get it. People understand that and we're all learning together. So maybe that's an approach that we need to explore and making sure we're supporting our places of worship and that we're also, they're also continue to support us in the ways that we need it.
0: Well, it's good to hear uh, both of you saying that. And, uh, and and I know of course, um, and we we see these images of, the way our face are practiced in other countries and maybe not always um certainly uh you know the the bass that was in St. Peter's Square people are apparently standing distances away and etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh, again it, it's A little scary looking from this side of the ocean, especially in Italy, Um, but there's, you know, there's that. Uh, Yeah, and and Fiza, to your point, I think uh, this is going to take a toll on faith communities. There's no question, but i just like to point out it's not just faith communities that it's going to take a toll on. Um, Artistic communities, you know, every sports communities any place that's dependent on large people gathering Um, and not just for the wealthy in the mix there but for all of those people who have uh, just over you know minimum wage jobs that work in those venues and most of the artists and musicians I know don't make a lot of money and are really dependent on that and online is one thing but we're dependent on giving. So maybe this is a good time to do a shout out and say, whoever you normally support by way of concerts or um, in the arts, please continue to support them. Um, And for faith communities, of course, almost every faith community I know has some way of online giving. So please make use of that because, uh, you know, the bills still need to be paid despite all of this. Um, and some will fail and that's going to be the reality of the world, the new world that we're moving into. We just have a few minutes left. Um, I want to come back to, um, uh, you know, the, the top of the, top of the story, top of the hour story, which was, um, uh, the, uh, really, um, anti-racist actions around the death of Regis and, uh, George Floyd and, um and what we as faith folks should be or could be doing about it. Um, And maybe just, we've just got uh, like a few minutes. Um, Perhaps, uh, Annie, you talked about signal boosting. Um, In in what ways, um, if you're in, let's let's address it to our individual communities. If you're in the Jewish community, if you consider yourself Jewish, what should Jews be doing right now to support those in racialized communities and themselves if they're racialized? (laughs)
2: Yeah, I think look for the voices of people of color. Um so this is what I'm reading. So I, I, I'm sharing what I've been reading to do. Um you know, rather than just saying, oh, I'm heartbroken, um look look to so I I've started selling Surge Toronto and Black Lives Matter Toronto. I'm donating, I set up a monthly donation to Black Lives Matter Toronto. And um, I'm following them. I'm following leaders from those communities and individuals who are just like sharing their lived experience. I'm following them on social media, reading their stories, sharing their stories, um, and and reading. Uh, I, I'm I'm committing here to buying Leila Sad's book, Me and White Supremacy, and doing that work. Uh, and there are a few others. It's not hard to find. Go and look, especially for white folks in in the Jewish community. Uh, don't ask the people of color what to do. Go and do the work yourself. Go and look. Google is your friend. Um, it's not fair. It's not fair to ask the people of color in our community to spend their energy educating us. Um, just like, you know, we don't want to spend our energy educating folks on anti-Semitism. And, um, and, and just make, what I mean by signal boosting is, is like step back and put forward center center the voices of, of those who are most directly impacted by these experiences inside our community and across faith communities and beyond faith communities uh, cause i i want to live in a world where where people of all faiths are aware of white supremacy and aware that we need to all be anti-racist Uh, and talking about it, and bringing all of these stories out of the silence. We shouldn't need a camera. This, I I completely agree with FISA. It's ridiculous. The idea, well, there was no camera, so we don't really know what happened. No. Two family members told us what happened um, with Regis. And now, of course, there's questions. Were they there at the time? Um, But my my go-to was they said this happened. I'm sharing that this happened and I'm demanding an investigation. And I, I'm using my voice to do that, making phone calls, email, if phone voicemails are full, this is what I'm hearing. Find email addresses. Uh, and, you know, do what we can with our privilege. Thank, thank you, Annie. Uh, Fizza.
1: Yeah, uh, thank you, Annie. That was great. And I think a lot of the same things. um, Donate, donate, donate where you can, especially if you have the privilege to do so. Find out, donate to the family. Regis's family has put something out. There's also a a donation fund for people who have been arrested in Minnesota. I think that would be really important to donate to. Um, And, you know, on top of everything that Annie said, just something that I want to say is that for us in our community, I find it's difficult where, you know, we're always talking about unity and we're always battling Islamophobia from the outside and it's exhausting, but now we have to do the work inside and we have to make each other uncomfortable and we're going to lose alliances and so be it. And I'm ready for that. Like, I'm so upset at people who have been taking up these spaces of leadership, quote unquote, and not um, giving it everything that it needs. Right. So taking pictures of politicians and smiling with police officers and, and now they're silent. They're absolutely silent. Where are they? So I put a post up that says, We're the we'll, like, take a look around at all those people that you see in all the photos with Trudeau and like whoever they want to be with. What are they saying right now? And let's see who our real allies are here and who are we go- Who's going to move us forward? Because those are uncomfortable conversations to have. It's uncomfortable to call people out because our community's small. Everyone knows one another for the most part. Um, but now we've got to do it. Because who do we like? What do we fear? Our our mandate as as people of belief is to follow justice." to know that God is on the side of justice. And if people are gonna dislike us, it doesn't matter. We're not concerned about what they think about us, right? We have a role to play as believers to please God and to follow God's path. And uh, that has to lead us because too many of the times that people, people who have been preaching quote unquote scripture are silent. So that's a cue to us that we don't listen to preachers. We listen to our scripture, right? Um, so that's, that's kind of what I'm taking moving forward.
0: And I would just uh, add uh, Christian leaders. If you're putting a sermon out this Sunday, if you're putting out prayers of the people this Sunday, you better be mentioning this. Um, this is topical. Uh, one of the, my favorite theologians of the 20th century, Carl Barth, who, uh, was one of the very few sort of the Nazis coming out of Germany and um, said, you know, you should always preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. So mm-hmm. this is news and it's it's critically important for, for us to stand up, uh, particularly if those around us are not. Mm-hmm. So on that note, uh, thank you for listening to the Radical Reverend Show. We will be back next month with a faith panel and be safe out there, uh, but also be courageous. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Amen.